0: (laughs) All right.
1: Hey guys! Thanks for tuning in to On She Goes the podcast. This week we had the esteemed pleasure of doing a live podcast at the 12th annual Ad Color Awards in Los Angeles. They were amazing, and special shout out to Tiffany Warren, Janie Mai, and Taryn Finley, who we got to speak with. So you'll hear two sections. The first section is the morning session where we talked to Tiffany Warren, who is the founder of Ad Color and also the Chief Diversity Officer of Omnicom. We also We also talked to Jenny Mai, who is a co-host on The Real and also was the host of the 12th Annual Ad Color Conference. Hi. Hi, guys. We're the girls from On She Goes. We have a podcast. We are a travel platform for women of color. Um, We are here at the 12th Annual Ad Woo! Color Awards in Los Angeles. Super exciting. I'm Sarita Wesley. I'm
2: Becca Ramos. Excuse me, I was a future. I'm losing my voice. It's been a long week,
1: so. I'm Vivian Zhang. I'm Farron Nickdell. And I
3: am Rebecca Russell.
1: And we are here with uh, Tiffany Warren, the uh, founder of Ad Color Woo! and the chief diversity officer of Omnicom. So uh, first and foremost, we're talking about the moment of truth right now. The moment of truth is what everybody is discussing for this conference. It's the theme of the conference. And Tiffany, for you, starting this conference, there had to be a moment of truth in the beginning of this. What was your moment of truth with starting this conference?
4: Um, it It was essentially in 2004. I had gone to other conferences, and I didn't see a lot of us at these conferences. And so I had the hubris to think at a very sort of pivotal time in my career that I could start something that would represent our community.
1: Wonderful, and so let me ask you this. What do you feel about having like, having this conference? What is your initial feeling when you walk in and you see all of these wonderful people of color and p- people of non-color, but yeah, people allies. that are here celebrating diversity? What is the overwhelming feeling that you get I'm assuming it's overwhelming, but... Um,
4: yeah, it is. I mean, the feeling I get is more a feeling of family. Like, to see, first, your beautiful faces. Let's give a shout-out to you, you guys. Shout-out to <laughs> Tiffany. Coming all the oh, way from you. Portland. Hello. Portland. Um, so thank you guys for doing this. But yeah, a feeling of family. I mean, I, I can't really over-explain that. I have a very close family, and I, I think in my mind, I like to recreate it everywhere I go. Um, so seeing people come together in this way once a year um, that's the feeling that overcomes me, is, is a feeling of family. You moderated
1: a panel yesterday with Colleen DeCourcy and Mara kill and in that panel you talked about some pretty difficult things about having the hard conversations in boardrooms and also like with Colleen being the president of a company, now she is, but she wasn't at one point and she had to have some tough conversations. What do you usually recommend for young ladies who are facing those issues, What young women of color who are going into these boardrooms, who are getting a seat at the table and getting an opportunity?
4: Yeah, I mean, Mara, I think, put it really beautifully how in a certain um, moment for her, she did like a five-second prayer, I think if you remember she said that, um, and then she opened her eyes and she stated her truth. I think it's easier now, um, at least when I was coming up, it was like, you felt like you had to follow certain rules. Um, you had to stay you know, at your desk until your boss left. I mean, there was just like hard and fast rules. And now I think people are setting their intention about, I want to create an environment that supports who I am right now in my life. Um, I don't want to fit in. I want to stand out. And so I think you know, the young women of color that I mentor, I tell them that. I think the thing that makes you unique and different is the thing that's going to position you for success. Um, so I'm taking Mara's advice and do like the five, 10 second prayer, um, so I won't pop off. Yeah.
1: I did about a 40 second to an hour long prayer before this.
3: <laughs> you guys have anything to add? Yeah. I have a question for you. Um, one of my favorite shows, The Chappelle Show, had a segment called When Keeping It Real Goes Wrong. Do you ever
4: see a downside to sharing your personal truth? Yeah. Oh, no. I know about keeping it real when it goes wrong. Um. That's an interesting, and I mean, obviously Dave Chappelle put it in a very funny way, but I think there's always, um, you know, there's a truth in there. Um, and the truth is sometimes keeping it real, um, go, when it goes wrong, it's mean, it, it goes wrong when you're trying too hard to keep it real. When you're, when you're thinking about a character versus who you really are, I think keeping it real is not popping off or being disrespectful, it's being true to who you are. So I think it's repositioning what keeping it real means. Um, but every time I see that skit, it just reminds me. <laughs> well, that and the wrap it up, wrap it up, which you guys will see on Sunday if people's speeches go too long. <laughs> wrap it up.
1: The wrap it up meter. <laughs> oh no, we, we
4: have wrap it up music. We actually do. Um, but yeah, no, I think keeping it real is actually um, be, uh, keep being true to yourself. I think
1: that's really symbolic too with like kind of piggybacking off of what you're saying and it's like being authentically yourself and even like embracing your culture where you are. You know, we talk about code switching a lot and like getting to work and and like, oh, let me change the way I talk. I'm going to alter my accent, tone it down a bit. Uh, Let me get this hair, you know, in order or whatever have you. And it's like. That, I think, it seems like that narrative is slowly dissipating, which it is, is wonderful.
4: I mean, the only code switching I ever, I've ever done is to try to hide my Boston accent. Because when I get upset, I drop all the Rs. So <laughs> I have to really be intentional about speaking because I literally sound like John F. Kennedy on a good day. So I, that's the only code switching I do. Other than that, I'm completely myself all the time. I remember very specifically when I started at Omnicom, I felt like I had to wear a navy suit and I had to, you know, perm my hair and do these things. And I think two months in, I shaved off all my hair. Like, I went completely natural and I was like that for a while. But then my life got really busy um, and I wasn't ashamed to be like, I need um, to hide this hair and protect it from heat because I'm too busy. And I think women, there's so much political things that are in your hair and how you wear it, I think you should do and be who you are. Um, When I see young girls being kicked out of school because they're wearing braids or their dreads, it breaks my heart. It literally breaks my heart. But then I see Naomi Wadler who was on the stage at March for Our Lives in her beautiful hair talking about Um, you know, women of color are not really, I mean, I literally cried the whole time she spoke. So I, to your point, I do think it's, it's fading, but there's still pockets of society that care about what you wear and how you wear your
2: hair. I think we kind of get sheltered living on the coast, you know, the west and the east coast, because I'm from Texas, and until I moved to Portland, Oregon, I was code switching like crazy. I went to a private Baptist college, I rushed a white sorority, I straightened my hair for sorority events. I was a dancer, so anytime I had a dance competition, I had to straighten my hair. Like, we, it is changing, but there are still a lot of areas where it's not. And I can tell you, Texas is one of those places that still has a long way to go. There's Austin, there's like parts of Dallas, but like, and Houston, but like, there's still as much as change is slow, and I have to remind myself that. And I feel so lucky to like, get to live my life and my truth out on the West Coast now, yeah, yeah. and whatever coast I'll ever want to be on, but living in Texas for 22 years was hard, yeah. like, it is hard for probably a lot of the women of color out there yeah. still to this day. Becca, well, be free. I, be I,
5: free. I, I share yeah. a similar story as Becca, I grew up in a very white environment, and I'm Iranian, and I'm Middle Eastern, and past 9-11, I really did not, I tried to suppress that part of me, and. I speak Farsi. I grew up speaking Farsi with my family and my own boyfriend and my people who are super close in my life didn't know that part about me. So this year, I asked my grandpa to give me my name in Farsi so that when people meet me, hopefully it's a conversation starter and yeah. I can lead with that. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Thank you. That's
1: amazing. That is super amazing. Thank I love you. that. you. You
5: all know now. <laughs> <laughs> you can ask it me that
1: question. <laughs> I think that's wonderful. Tiffany, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so happy that you came to talk to us. Thank you so much for having us. No. Here. Yes. yes, thank you. We are
4: so, I mean, I'm, I'm honored. I don't want but to I'm cry so again. No, don't cry for again. The 50- yeah, you
1: know.
4: <laughs> Last night she met her her hero, Mara Brock Akil, and they had a moment. Woo! And I cried the whole time. The whole time. Um, but no, I'm so proud of you guys and the stuff and everything that you're doing to bring attention to women of color and how they travel. Um, just know that you have a seat at our table every year. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Yeah. you thank you, heard you so much, We got a seat
1: at her table every year. Table. <laughs> thank no, you. No,
4: no. Not the award show, but like. The-
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think I get to go to that though. Right? I like the I'm clarification. Thank you. <laughs> it's all good. And next, we're gonna talk to Jeannie Mai. Woo! I'm Good. dying with these leggings. Hi,
6: you look everybody. beautiful. Hi. Hello. Thank you. Hi. Hello, honey. Hello.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> so, I wanted to talk to you specifically because I saw this the other day. Okay. What was um, it? You had a recent tweet about hiring Asian Americans. Yes. As writers, directors, producers, journalists. She's, and more. So, she's so happy because she got a job, y'all. Yeah. Like, I got hired. <laughs> That's yes. important. And I wanted to ask you um, about this because I wanted to say, like, your experience as an Asian American entertainer, for starters, getting into the industry, how was that for you? Was it was it difficult? What was your, you know, what was your moment of truth with, with that? Sure.
6: Okay. So to put the question into context, I was asked on Ask Jeannie on Twitter whether uh, how we would change... The, the gamut of um, Asian-Americans being more in film, in movies, and in, in writing, and production. And honestly, when it comes to the top, those decision-makers, you need to hire more from Asian-Americans. You need the perspective. So to put it in context here, if you want to see race change, if you want to see more of an eye-opening experience of culture and voices, you have to hire from within. When we had Oscar So White as a trending hashtag mm-hmm. at that time, when we looked into the committee, it was a majority of 93% white people. Yeah. Why do you think that is? It's changed since, kudos to the union, but at the end of the day, the people who can make the decisions to hire, you have to hire people from different backgrounds and different cultures, different lenses, different perspectives. That's the only way you can get somebody to give their voice on one certain topic that could be the same for everybody but different from unique experiences so bringing that back to my show on the real i host a show called the real on fox it comes on every day here at 11 (laughs) o'clock we won an emmy last year so we're legit finally all to say though um when fox my my bosses decided to do a urban show i really think they put it out there to just have all black cast i think that's what they were expecting all I know is I walked in and I was the only Asian girl there. Um, there were some Latinas, but it, their their perspective was that's what an urban girl looks like, you know? I'm not saying I'm an urban girl. I was I grew up in the bay. I'm not saying I I, I don't I don't know what that means. I listen to hip hop. I know how to twerk. I know how to like <laughs> cook a lot of great foods. I'm cultured. I don't know what that means to be urban. All I know is my experience is that I'm diverse. I'm a minority and I have um, I have a a a history of understanding how different cultures work because I was born around a lot of different cultures. So I think that the way I made it onto the show was because of what I brought to the table. Of course. At the end of the day, don't let your skin color get you through the door either. You gotta bring it to the table. But this is where the story I was telling about my mom earlier, she owned her truth. The fact that she didn't speak English well, the fact that she does dress a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, she is owning her truth, and that's probably the biggest thing I would say today. Own your truth before they do. Because if they say, oh, she don't speak English well, bitch, I told you I didn't speak English well, but I can understand everything you're freaking saying. Never like, said I did. Own what it is about you before they do, because then you give them your powder, and that, even the the the... The setbacks that seem like things that make you insecure, that's actually your gift. That's actually your power. But you got to own it before they do. That's a word. I love it. I
1: love it. That is a word. So what I also wanted to know is um, with that, even talking about the word urban, like saying that, do you feel like that word needs to go away when it comes to describing like groups of people and stuff? I hate it
6: because I don't know if I'm urban. I don't know if I make, I mean, the word urban to me sounds cool, but I don't know if I consider myself to check off the box. So I don't like it because it categorizes people. However, if you ask me specific questions, like, did you grow up around minorities? Um, Are you, uh, you know, are you, uh, did you grow up middle class, lower class? Did you, like, if you ask me specific questions, then I can paint a picture for you through my experience. We have to be careful about putting those labels on people because shoot, you call me urban. I I don't know what that means for someone else who is hiring an urban person. And then what does that mean to the person who maybe doesn't consider themselves urban? It's just,
1: yeah, it's kind of jacked up. And it gets used against you sometimes. Yes. They can use it for you, and then they'll also use it against you. Oh, too urban, or, you know, not urban enough. We're looking somebody for a little little bit more urban. Absolutely, yeah, I agree with you there. I think it also teaches us to be more
6: woke about the questions we ask. When we talk to people, um, we we just have to be a lot more thoughtful now about how we're categorizing people when you ask a question. What's the goal of your question? When you ask somebody's background, you know, like when someone asks me, what kind of Asian are you? Like, it, it just does it doesn't ma- are you asking me to see what my descent is what right. background I have there's a different way to say things and we should be a lot more educated
1: anyway about how to approach people and are you trying to classify me right. for yourself yeah we talked a little bit on the podcast a week ago about putting people in our in boxes for yourselves to kind of like people are like oh I want to put you in this box because now I know how to deal with you this way exactly and that happens a ton especially in the entertainment industry yeah, exactly, and I have to
6: give it up to Ad Color. Just seeing what a great, diverse group of people this is. These are the type of events I want to be at nowadays, and these are the type of events that I want to bring more people to, so that you just kind of see every type of person here representing.
1: 100%. Yeah.
6: You
7: guys
1: have anything to add?
6: I had a question.
7: Sure. What advice do you have for people who are in their, they're about to get to their moment of truth. You know that moment where you're about, you know you're it's You're about happening. to pop your moment of truth exactly, cherry. Exactly. Got you. <laughs> but you still have that self-doubt. What do you do in those instances? Well, if you're
6: going to go through a mo- moment of truth, I'll tell you this much. The best part about knowing that you're headed there is it's the most hard, difficult, challenging. You feel like you, you kind of lose some friends in the process sometimes. Moment. It could be a breakup, it could be for me a divorce, it could be um, coming to terms with yourself in the mirror. Whatever it may be, it's not comfortable. That's the best part. Yo, I'm trying to tell you right now, trust me, I'm 39, all mine. I've learned, I've lived a little bit. But just You are to say, not 39. That Asian glow. <laughs> it, it is, it's, yeah. a little jo- it's a little Jesus, chicken wings, Asian no raisin, the good combo, but no. Honestly, when you're going through a difficult time, embrace it. Embrace it, like like you almost like if there was an earthquake right now, you know what we'd all do, we'd run for cover, we'd hold on to something or we'd just like steady ourselves and just wait for the blast. The same way when you're going through a moment, really check in with yourself and be like, okay, you got this, Jeannie, you're all right. You you hold on, we're gonna go through it, breathe, because you're always gonna be breathing. Even when you feel like life is over, what happens the next morning? You're breathing. You're gonna make it. But, when, but those if you look back at your life right now, I don't care how old you are, there are, you've already had some moments of truth, whether someone told you off on the schoolyard and got your ass together, whether a guy broke up with you that you realized maybe should have happened, um, maybe uh, falling out with your parents because you needed, them to, to, uh, to, to, you needed to communicate with, to them differently, or maybe they needed to see a stride you were making that they didn't understand. Moments of truths are some of the most challenging places. Embrace it.
7: Yes. i love that thank you oh, thank you so yes. much Jeannie. thank
6: you so thank much thank you you guys thank you for having thank me so i hope much. i to meet guys, everybody give her a round of applause. she's amazing through social media we can meet at the genie my Mai, mama my's at Let's the mama Mai. please do we'll connect and i'll run around and kiki with you guys too thank you thank you Jeannie. thanks
5: guys so much
1: Now we're coming up on the second session where we had a chance to talk to Taryn Finley, an HU grad like myself, and the editor for Huffington Post Black Voices. We talked a lot about moments of truth, and myself and the girls got to tell our pivotal moments of truth in our lives. Hi, guys. We're back. Hi, Brittany. On she goes, <laughs> team. Hello. Hi, still speaking about our moments of truth. I wanted to open up this part, kind of talking about our own personal moments of truth. Um, For me, I have to say, a moment of truth was working on this project. Um, I've never really been in a situation where my racial identity and my gender directly influenced my job where it was a huge part of my job. So working on this kind of like put that on the forefront for me. And what it really did was forced me into really awkward positions and situations where I would have to like explain to people that were higher up than me my experience. Um, and and also like open myself up to being very vulnerable about the fact that, um, you know, There were things that that, that I wanted to tell my own story and that I needed to tell my own story. And it's hard to do that because if you don't, if your race doesn't have anything to do with your job typically or you're not, you know, but this was directly correlated. And so it was really hard to do that. And it was like a lot of tears. You remember the tears. Uh, It was a lot of tears. It was a lot of anxiety. It was a lot of pressure, a lot of talks with Keisha, particularly. But honestly, um, I I felt better for it. Like, I think having done that, I'm able to now do something like this, where I'm speaking in front of all these people about my truth, and you know, you never ever think about the fact that um, when you're not talking about race and when you're not talking about your gender or things like that, you don't ever really think about the things that you don't have compared to what other people have. And sometimes it can be a really lonely feeling when you're in a room and you're explaining something about your truth, like for instance, I was very nervous about flying first class because I felt like I didn't belong in first class and that people were looking at me like, I'm either somebody's like sugar baby or I'm, you know, like I don't belong here. And speaking that truth in front of people who fly first class all the time, you know, it was actually really isolating and othering and alone, uh, lonely, but I feel like now it's my responsibility to make sure that that's known. So that was my moment of truth. How about you guys? I can go.
7: Hi, I'm Vivian. I, my moment of truth came when I was really young. My parents are immigrants from China and being a first generation, you go through spaces where people, you're speaking your native language and people don't understand it and that makes them uncomfortable. So I grew up living in Maine I don't know anyone from the East Coast, Maine is redneck and beautiful, but not very diverse. So I remember we were in a McDonald's or some restaurant and we're speaking Cantonese. And my parents and I are just having a normal conversation and a man walks over and he was like, you're in America, speak English. So my moment of truth in that moment as a young child was do I stand up for my parents because they can't stand up for themselves? And I did, it was scary and terrifying but it's really shaped who I am today because now I can look at a grown man and know that that isn't right and speak my truth every time. And I'm really grateful that my parents have raised me to be so strong, but it was hard and I remember asking Jeannie, I was like, what did you do when you had that moment face you? Because I easily could have turned away, but I'm really, really glad that I spoke my truth and stuck
1: to it, so yeah. I'm actually gonna interject because we have uh, Taryn Finley here with us. Taryn Finley is the editor of Huffington Post Black Voices. Um, she is also a Howard grad, yeah. <laughs> H-U. you know. Yeah. yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> so Taryn, I wanted to ask you about, um, as a journalist um, and as a black woman and as a woman of color and a person of color and telling our stories and the social responsibility that you feel doing so, what is that like for you? Is, do you feel like it's a very different experience than what other journalists experience?
0: Ooh, um, I definitely think that it is a different experience than what journalists who do not cover like race or you know any a, a beat identity a, a beat that goes along with identity or the identity that they um, that they have um, because. Essentially, like, I'm living this every day. I don't feel like that. I don't feel like I clock off. I don't feel like, you know, when I go home and, you know, just live my life or go to brunch or, you know, do these panels or anything like that, I don't feel like <laughs> I'm off the clock. Yeah. When I'm, when I'm just in my house talking to my friends, you know, gathering with um, folks that look like me or even folks that don't look like me and I'm talking about, you know, not even if I'm talking about these issues, but even if I'm, like, aware of how, like, the racial dynamics are, I feel like I'm definitely still on the clock. That is, like, information for me to go back and learn and to include and incorporate into my reporting and to the way that I view my work as a Black woman. Because this lived experience, I can't cut it off. I can't clock off from the um, responsibility that I feel and that I have as a black woman reporting on, you know, our stories.
1: Mm -hmm. I also wanted to ask you about uh, reporting as a black woman in white spaces. What is that like? I mean, I can imagine it being at times like, A little nerve-wracking, but also, like, there is another social responsibility there.
0: Yeah, definitely. It has its pros and its cons, like the pros being more resources, the pros being um, an opportunity to reach more, a wider audience, reach the people who actually need to, you know, hear about what a microaggression is, why you can't touch your um, black co-workers here, why, you know, it's messed up that all of these cops keep um, getting non-indictment and getting off for killing um black kids and black men and black women you know um so that is i think that's important and i also think that right now especially like being a black woman in a white space whether you are at HuffPost, post and new york times or wherever i think that it's it's hard because there's still journalism still very much has a diversity problem we're seeing more people ask about that Yeah, we're seeing more of us you know popping up telling our stories but also there are companies that are cash cropping off of our stories they're using our ideas and um, our opinions because they're trendy and because right now they're profitable and it's really unfortunate and so that's something that you know me being and doing all that I can in my space that I'm in right now, making sure that that doesn't happen, making sure that I stand up and use my voice. But it can be daunting a lot of times, because, you know, why should all of that burden fall on one person or fall on, you know, a few people in a newsroom, when it should be the responsibility of the entire newsroom to make sure that these stories, these voices are handled with care? 100%.
1: And also, um, I wanted to ask you about Time's Up. Uh, Have you reported on Time's Up? And also, if you have, what do you feel about Time's Up and the intersectionality of it it all and reporting on it as a black woman?
0: Yeah, definitely. So I haven't reported on Time's Up, but I have assigned and, you know, um, edited stories related to Time's Up. And I definitely think, I know that they're, like, you know, going out and making sure that you know, more that, that it's more inclusive. Um, I wish that we could be doing more. You know, I definitely wish that more people were at the table, making sure that not even not even just like from a um, black or woman of color perspective, but also socioeconomic perspective, because I think that I think that that is a um, I think that that is a sect of um, the population that we largely ignore. Um, You know, I think I think these organizations are doing like an amazing job at you know raising raising awareness around like you know really important issues. But you know, there are still there are always people who will be you know silenced.
1: And you know what? That's such a good point because I remember like my job when when I was in college and I would come home for the summer. I worked at Applebee's and at Applebee's I had a boss. the manager of Applebee's, would sexually harass me so intensely and like I never felt like I could do anything about it until I went back to school and I was like haha, <laughs> you know, but like it just was so uncomfortable and I was like 18, 19 years old and it's crazy because nobody stands up for those people no. who, who can't lose their jobs. I worked at Fossil,
2: my first my first job ever was at Fossil and I remember getting mentored by this guy who was easily eight years older than me. And I was like fresh bait to everybody in the office or not the office its a retail store. And this guy was training me, I was like, oh, cool, cool, I've never been in a workplace before. And then all of a sudden one day, I'm in the break room. He's got his hand in my pocket trying to give me his number. But hey, why the fuck do you gotta touch me? <laughs> yeah. You don't gotta touch me, but I didn't know any better and it's like that's some people's day to day because they don't get to go to college and then like you know this is their job this is their livelihood and only now are we starting to touch point on the fact that times up it's for everybody yeah. it's not just for advertising it's not just for hollywood with the mcdonald's stuff it's like finally we're starting to see it be for women of color that are like regular women of color you know they don't have the kind of elevated privilege that we kind of have in this
1: room right now and we're not even the most privileged people in the room right now um, you know very true and I wanted to ask you, uh, have you had a moment of truth or several moments of truth? <laughs> um, and is there one in particular that you'd like to share?
0: Um, yeah, I think my moment of truth is when I learned to use my voice um, and really stand confident and convicted in it. Um, and funny enough, it was after my freshman year of Howard. H-U. You know, okay. <laughs> and. Um, I got in the car. My mom was um, was um, driving me back home. I'm from Ohio originally, so it's an eight-hour commute. Um, and she told I, I told her that I wanted to go natural. I had had a perm my entire life um, at age four. I asked for a perm because I didn't think that my hair was pretty. I wanted to have hair like I had all black Barbies, but they all had black. They all had straight hair. You know, I felt like it was, it wasn't manageable. So I asked her early on. And so I had a perm from four until 18 years old. And exactly, exactly. It a long time. It was it's a long, long time. time. Um, and so she pushed back on me. She told me that I wouldn't get a job. She told me that I needed to go to church. Mind you, I wasn't even raised in the church like that. She told me, you she know. She still sent you to church, huh? Listen, she told, she told me all of these things and, it really hurt me. And I, I, I got home um, in Dayton, Ohio that week. She made an appointment. I went to go get a relaxer. And then um, I was like, no, I can't do this anymore. This is my last relaxer. And so me standing up and using my voice, because I felt like my voice, I had suppressed my voice so much. I think the fact that like I was able to stand up and stand confident even in the face of someone who I love dearly, that was definitely my moment of truth, where I learned to just live for for me and for what I know to be right. You know, and
1: it's we talk about this a lot with our uh, parents and stuff like that, how our parents are also conditioned to feel and, and act a certain way and believe certain things that we're actually now, we're the generation that kind of is like breaking out of that. Like I can speak up, I can do this, I can go natural, I can, you know, go and get this job with my, with my hair the way it is. And so it's like, we also, we talk about this all the time. Like I have to break my mom out of that mode too sometimes where I'm like, mom, I don't have to do that.
0: We're in this moment where so many of us are learning to be unapologetic and learning to be comfortable and learning to, to, we're starting to realize that we are enough and we're unlearning a lot of the um, toxic lessons that were passed down from generation to generation. I love it. Yeah.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Taryn. I appreciate you taking the time to chill with us and hang out. Um, Let the people know where they can follow you and find you. Yeah, you You
0: can follow me, underscore, tearing it up. That's T-A-R-Y-N-I-T-U-P on Twitter, Instagram, all that.
1: Wonderful. And Huffington Post, Black Voices.
0: Yes, yes. Go to Black Voices on HuffPost. Post slash section slash Black Voices. There we go. (laughs) Thank you. Google us. (laughs) Thank you, girl. I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: And I want to give the ladies a chance to finish their moments of truth.
3: Ladies, Rebecca Farron. I mean, I guess I'll bite. Um, I like to think that I've been pretty, yeah, I like think I've been pretty you know, transparent throughout my life. Uh, I grew up like very strong family figures and a sense of self. So I've typically just said things that were on my mind, but I do think that in the workspace, I've had a few moments of truth. Um, not necessarily my current position, but when I was much younger, and more junior in the industry, you know, where clients have said some offensive things in terms of casting and we'll fix it in casting. And oh, that person is too ethnic or that person is too this or that. And I've definitely had to stand up um, for myself, which has been like, oh my God, am I gonna lose my job for saying this? Um, When I'm actually morally offended, and they should not even be thinking in this way. Um, And I haven't won every single battle. Um, Obviously, I can't speak to which client it was, but uh, you know, I I have stood up for myself in that way, and it has manifested itself in the work.
5: I can attest to that, because anytime I say anything a little off, Rebecca gives me this stare. She's like, she, Rebecca's face just says everything. So you just look at Rebecca's face in a meeting, and she's like, uh-uh, uh-uh. She's not feeling like it. Like a facial barometer. Sorry. <laughs> What's your um, moment of truth? I think my moment of truth kind of happened. I have someone said in the conference today they have many moments of truth, like all these aha moments. Um, but it's been just recently as, like, our, our political media and the news is just coming at us so quickly and I had this moment where I I really realized there's so much going around me and I'm not really being attentive to it. I'm just kind of sitting back and letting other people make these really big decisions that are affecting me on a personal level. So I know I've just tried to educate myself, whether that's listening to a couple podcasts in the morning, taking some extra time out of my work to read up on publications that maybe are outside of the advertising industry just to inform myself on what is going on in the world around me um, and what i can do to step up even in the smallest way so it's it's something i'm trying to do every single day and get myself a little bit better each each day but it's my moment <laughs> is anybody becca did you go no uh, so i feel like i've had also like fair was saying
2: a lot of moments of truth especially like being in this industry, I feel like I've learned a lot about myself in a really good way. Um, but I would say that in the past couple, like six, eight months, I really kind of, or a year, the past year, I've really learned what it means to be Afro Latina. I'm Puerto Rican, I'm Boricua, and but I grew up in Texas, you know. And as much as my parents, my parents don't look like me. They're much lighter. They have lighter hair. They don't have as curly of hair. And growing up in Texas in a very white space where people are very racist, to be frank, um, I was told black is wrong. Like, you don't wanna be black, you wanna be Latina. And so I lived in this weird diaspora where I would walk in the world as, you know, perceived as black. I always get asked, you're half black and what? So you're black, so this, you're that, without even asking me what I was. And I felt this internal battle of like, no, I'm Latina though. Like, why doesn't anyone identify me as Latina? And I felt like ashamed that I was always associated as black and not Latina. And then Latinos, because you don't speak Spanish, don't associate you as Latina either, or you're too dark. So I lived in this very dark place, I think for a long time, until I came to Wyden. And I learned a lot, I had the space to learn about myself and to learn about what it means to be Burrican, what it means to be Latina, what it means for me, what I can do as a Latina, as an Afro-Latina in the space of advertising, and I have a voice in a way I never had in Texas. And so just unpacking that unlearning of like, being Afro-Latina is amazing. You know, it's cool to be Afro-Latina. It's okay to be
1: both black and Latina. So, yeah,
2: it's a moment of truth.
1: Thank so you guys so you. much for listening. Thank you guys for hearing our moments of truth. We're gonna wrap up and thank you Add Color and Widening Kennedy and everybody. Thank, thank you. you. Our experience at Ad Color was amazing. We got to talk to so many different women of color who are so inspirational and we really got to see what our industry is doing out here for people of color across the board. It was an amazing time. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you wanna learn more about AdColor, check out their Instagram at AdColor, and you can go to AdColor.org for more information.